Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Come on in. I am Matt Norlander here with Cover 3 Podcast, Chip Patterson. That's right. We got the crossover. Everyone on YouTube, hello. Drop your questions and your comments with frequency. If you're listening to this on your phone, thank you for listening. However you're getting it, as fast as you're getting it, we appreciate you. We've got a lot to get to. We've got to set up this Final Four. Gary Parrish is in the air right now. And so we did not want to wait until late Sunday to get you a pod. We wanted to go real time, especially for our live audience that likes to watch us on YouTube. So do go ahead and smash or tickle or massage or just say hello to that like button. If you could, if you're watching live, if you're watching after the fact, Hello, how we doing? I am wearing my Beach Boys shirt. This is for the Beach Boys from FAU. I was at the Garden on Saturday night. I know the podcast from Saturday night with Cobb and Paris. Recap that. I will get to those owls, those incredible owls, those impossible owls. I will get to them before we get out of here. The final four is set. The total seed number, if you add them all up, we're at 23. It's the second highest in history. The highest? 2011, which also went to Houston. This is also because we have Miami playing UConn and FAU playing SDSU. Stop. Just, again, let that soak in. Miami, UConn, FAU, San Diego State. It's the first time since 1970 that we have had a Final Four with at least three of the participants having never made a Final Four before, making their debuts all at the same time. How about that? How incredible is that? Also, it's the first Final Four ever without a number one seed and a number two seed and a number three seed. My goodness. How about that? A year ago, we had all Blue Bloods, Kansas, Carolina, Duke, Nova. Those tournament wins last year totaled up to more than 400. This year, UConn's got 63 tournament wins to its name. FAU, you know them all. It's four. San Diego State has 10, Miami has 15, and almost all of Miami's have come under Jim Laranega. We are going to get to Texas over uh, Texas losing to Miami first. But Chip, how you doing? And what is your, uh, what's your reaction to this Final Four we have and what we saw go down on Sunday? Oh, I mean, first of all, um, it it's good. Like, you and I got hired about the same time. Like, we've been working at CBS for like 12, it's 13 more than years. A de- it's been well over uh, a decade at this point, yes. I got butterflies before we hit record 
because, and like, this is the thing that I want to connect with. Like everybody, like shout out to everybody who's watching live. I see all of you in the chat. Like, am I going to do a duck impression? Like maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Like, cause you're always trying to hunt the duck when you're doing that ISO defense. Right. But okay. I, I do think that this is one of those shows that as a listener of the Ion College Basketball Podcast, I'm always fired up for. So like even still all this time, uh, super excited to be here. And Gary Parrish did say, in addition to, look at me, I'm an Aztec. He also oh, no. said that he would be watching. Um, and I know that he's got the in, was it the, the in-flight onboard, like season pass, gold standard, like everything that you can possibly have uh, for his preferred airline. And so I, I hope he is watching. Hey, hey, GP, I hope that we're doing you, uh, doing you hmm. justice here. Do we but- think he's actually watching right now? I've got, there's no chance. Uh, there's no chance. I'm actually going to say there's no, there's no shot. No. I, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if he was. He was kind of, uh, he's kind of sad that he was going to miss out on this. Yeah. One. Well, yeah. We will. Paris and I will be back on Tuesday to preview the Final Four in a, in a typical episode. But we want to get this up as quickly as we can. And uh, right, right, right. And exactly. Like, like get me, get me called in. And also, like on the, if this first game had been the second game, I can't say mm-hmm. that I'm as fired up. I cannot say that I'm like charging in after we went. What was it? Uh, we we started off. We had like Greg McDermott calls a timeout, thirty second timeout to be able to like try to set up a good shot. But it was a Baylor Shireman air ball, and then all of a sudden we had a media timeout. Everyone complains about the like commercial kickoff commercial. How about the yeah. commercial air ball commercial that we had during the slugfest that was San Diego State outlasting Creighton, but. You know, there, there's a lot to unpack here from both of these games, from the matchups that we've got ahead. Fired up to be with you, man. Yeah, no, it's uh, listen, it's it's a fascinating Final Four. I got no issues with it. I'm willing to admit that, like, if, if it was Creighton instead of San Diego State, the because FAU can play any kind of game, uh, we would have a lot of good potential for two really unpredictable, exciting games. San Diego State will dictate dictate that game to almost certainly be decided under the score of 65 for the winning team. But whatever, we are. Uh, we're all too happy to. Uh, Can we go like a general question here? Because um, oh, you got. Yeah, all right. So Ryan in the chat says, is this the most entertaining tournament that we've had? I'm going with yes. Absolutely. Top three. And the thing that makes this interesting, zero buzzer beaters. We've had a lot like Furman yeah. is our like yeah. closest thing that we closest have. And, and oh, by the way, Tramel had a foul beaters. shot. F- Tramel had a foul shot with like two and change. It's not the same. I know. Yeah, but it, with no buzzer beaters, we've had phenomenal comebacks. We've had controversy. We've had incredible endings. And, like, yeah, from an entertainment standpoint, 100%. It's, it's been it great. Is, it's not it, the most entertaining one ever. And I love, uh, Chip, I love me some I love me some NCAA tournament every single year. I love every variety. Um, no doubt about it. Uh, but uh, this isn't because we haven't had a buzzer beater and, you know, there haven't been we didn't get, you know, just an assembly line of amazing finish after amazing finish. There have been crazier ones, but it has been tremendous. And uh, let's get it. Let's get into Sunday's action. We're going to go Texas over Miami first. So I, I said on HQ, I think it's 70 percent Miami wins it and comes back and 30 percent Texas collapses there. Um, and we'll get to the Larinaga stuff and what he's done, because I do want to get I do want to touch on that as well. But man, oh, man, Texas. Okay, so there was the it's it seemed I I, I don't know the, the game happened and ended. I hopped on the HQ. I talked about this for fifteen minutes. 
I took off my my dress shirt, my jacket. I tossed on a Beach Boy shirt and I hopped on the podcast. So I haven't like really like sat there and digested. It feels like the call that was going to be Omir's fifth that then became the rightful call. Oh, the call. Cunningham. The, yeah, the Cunningham, Cunningham box out. Yeah, because he was undercutting yeah. him. Like, I get it. You want to have the, the ability to box out. Uh, that guy was backing out of a garage that had his doors closed. Okay, like that had to be the call on Cunningham. It feels like that might have been the turning point there. But just some stuff off the top here. Jordan Miller, phenomenal. 27 points on 7 of 7 shooting, 13 of 13 from the line. This is a guy who, uh, Miller, I've mentioned him many times on the pod. I've, I, I've dec- You and I thing. did. On the, like, Correct. we were taking ACC tournament. We're like, who is the one player who could take over right now and, like, transcend what Miami's ceiling is? Because Isaiah Wong has the ball in his hands all the time. Uh, Norshad Omier is clearly, like, especially with some of the injury troubles that he had, was like the X factor everyone zeroed in on. You and I have been simpatico with the idea that if you really want to take Miami to the next level, then Jordan Miller's the guy that's going to be able to do it. And the, the stuff that he had, uh, did you get a chance on HQ to hear what he had to say after the game did when not. he was talking to right, so yeah. He was talking to Tracy Wolfson, and, and Tracy had clearly gotten into this a little bit on uh, the off day on Saturday, where he was like, the pain of losing that Elite Eight game last year was like an intense motivating factor. And then Jim Laranega said the same thing when Jim Laranega came in. He said, uh, Jordan and Isaiah were talking to everybody in the locker room. They were like, "You, we want to go further. Like, we want to go further. And I think that that is something that is so cool to me. Like, I've gotten a lot of questions, and I'm sure you've gotten a lot of questions where it's like, is the transfer portal, is like the way that you remake a roster every year, is that why this NCAA tournament is so crazy? Like, yeah, maybe. Like, of course it has to play a role, but when we do have those stories of a tournament experience and the heartbreak that is felt, and then when you bring that back and you transmit it to your teammates and you say like, look, like this is what it's going to take and we want to go further it seems like Jordan Miller, A, in the off day before this game even tipped off, had been able to um, deliver that message to the rest of the Miami's roster and then to also follow that up with being the best player on the court either team. I mean, that's that's some cool stuff. Like That is cool college basketball NCAA tournament stuff that I love. I completely agree with you. Uh, it is, uh, man, oh man, this Miami, this Miami story is something else here. As for the game... Um, and Miller, so he's the first player. <laughs> this is just un- so Miller is the first player to score 25 in a tournament game on 100% from the field and the line since you already know it, Chip. Who Christian Leitner, Leitner in '92 against Kentucky. Yeah, what a, what a performance! My Phenomenal, God. you know, and it was, it's funny. Like, I actually went back to the spectrum, you know, emotionally, psychologically. You know, did, did did my own little like uh, darkness retreat. Went back to that 1992 Elite Eight game, mm-hmm. but I did it in advance of um, the Gonzaga UConn game, which was nothing like to Kentucky at nope. all. <laughs> and we'll get to like more Final Four stuff later. But I have been thinking about um, that game and sort of like those sort of transcendent performances and what it requires to be able to go and get it done. And Miller was absolutely there. You can see the box score if you're watching on YouTube here. Now to keep this up for a couple more minutes, I'll, I'll read off this. One, we keep saying Jordan Miller's underrated. He's no longer underrated. Same thing for Larinaga. He's not the most, uh, like, this, making the final four, Jim Larinaga is no longer underrated. He can no longer be declared that, in my opinion there. 
But you see what what Miami was able to do: fifty nine percent from the field, and they were cruising above sixty for for much All of the game. game. Uh, the, the entire the, the entire game until until the uh, till the end. By the way, Miami's down what they were down thirteen with thirteen to go. Mm-hmm. Um, they just got to the line way more than Texas did. Um, with the, the t- Miami from two point range was outrageous. What issue they shot twenty seven to forty one from inside the three point line, and 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 only missed four four foul shots. Uh, that to to quote our buddy Seth David, that is how you get Capone Capone. So and, like, uh, what, what do you make that out? I wanted to pitch that at you. So they make 11 yeah. three-pointers in the Sweet 16. And like from the jump, like mm-hmm. they didn't... Oh, let me see my notes right here. They did not have a single three-point attempt until 7.30 left in the first half. Is that Texas's defense that sort of forces their hand? Like, what is your eye... I think that's part of it. Yeah, because Texas can get out and guard you like that. And there were some, I mean, there was there were some shining moments here from Texas on that end of the floor until Miami flipped the game. Like I thought Hunter played really well. I thought Carr had a pretty good overall game. And in fact, he was able to stay in after uh taking that shot from from Omir on the inbound there. Um Bishop had some moments there. You even saw Dylan Mitchell. <laughs> Dylan Mitchell had an, it's just an outrageous block. In fact, my mind went to a place where I was like, we're going to get Dylan Mitchell against Andre Jackson in the final four. No, we are not. Texas is going home and it will be Miami instead. And I'm, I'm more than okay with Miami's litany of athletes matching up with UConn. It's going to be a fun matchup no matter what. Um, but you'll notice like Miami's a team that takes a lot of threes. It, it took eight in this game. Right. And, I'd be interested. I don't know if anyone's asked. And as we're doing this, literally, Larinaga hasn't even gotten to the. I don't think he's even gotten to the post game presser yet because they got to do the nut cutting and they got to do all that stuff. So we won't know this in real time in the podcast. That's but I am interested cutting, to know if net what's cutting. You, net that, cutting. I just want to make sure you, you said net cutting. Net cutting. That's correct. Net cutting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Net cutting. I'd be interested to know how much of that was Texas and how much of it might have been a game plan, a wrinkle, because they were able to get it done down low. Omir. Uh, had 11 pack had 15 poplar again carried them for spurts there and they just uh they did a wonderful they did a wonderful job uh on on Larinaga, um he's the fourth head coach to make multiple final fours as a five seed or worse this will not be a trivia time you want to know the other ones here they are larry brown tom Izzo, and brad stevens what do they all have in common they are in or are going to the hall of fame jim Larinaga should be going to the naismith memorial hall of fame Okay, because only he and Larry Brown have taken two programs to the final four as a five. There were Ed Stevens, of course, did it twice with Butler. And then Izzo's obviously only done it with Michigan State. Larry, Larry Brown did it with multiple teams. And Larry Nega should be well on his way, man, to to orchestrate this. How about this? He does this not just on the 17th anniversary of doing it with Mason. Okay, he. What is somewhat forgotten about that Mason game was, and I can't believe it's been 17 years. I remember being in my living room with my brothers and my and my and my parents. Uh, that was a Sunday, and that was, I think, the second game in DC. It might have been the first one. Um, they were down 12 points in the first half. That that Patriots team was to, to that just beast of a UConn team, just down big time. Um, they rally, they win it, they they, they take it to overtime there. This one, they're down 13. In fact, I think they were still down like 10 or so with eight minutes to go in this game. And the reason they won it, there were only two times in this game when Miami missed two shots or more in the game. They missed three straight in the early part of the first half. And then they missed two in a row 
in the 11 minute range with 11, 11 and change to go. Other than that, they didn't go any point in the game where they missed more than two in a row or two in a row period. That is why it got done. There, there were some turnovers that created some of that up and down and, and skittishness. Um, Texas obviously was shooting lights out for much of the first 75, 80% of the game. If, if Texas finishes shooting 50% from the field, 40% from three point range shot 73% from the line comported itself basically as well as you probably could expect it to. But Miami was a good matchup and we got a, uh, we got an incredible, incredible, uh, just an incredible reach. It's the, the score doesn't reflect how tight the game was. And Oh, by the way, how about this now? Five seeds are five and one all time in regional finals against two seeds, five and one all time. Shouts to Dave Warlock of the NCAA who tweeted out that nugget as well. Any other takeaways from this one? Jeff. There was an unbelievable image um, during some of those final free throws where none of, I mean, of course, none of the Miami players are on the block, but they're all arm in arm. Like it's one guy at the line and it is the other four and they are all arm in arm. And the reason why that stands out to me is that the only players who finished in double figures were the starters. Like, was it five bench points? They all come from mm-hmm. Joseph. Every like, everything that Miami got was from its starters. And one of my notes that I was making in preparation for this podcast, again, butterflies, expectations, all those things, <laughs> is that one of what I saw in San Diego State Creighton was Creighton run out, of, and we'll get to you know this game in a little bit. But like Creighton's a short rotation. San Diego State's a deeper team. Yes. Yes. Ran, ran out of legs. Jumpers were coming up short. They were giving up offensive rebounds like, okay, like you're running out of gas. And I totally understand it, but that's what's happening. And I thought that was what was happening. And those four players, you know, whoever was at the free throw line, the other four, they were all arm in arm for Miami in these two weekends. Those five have been enough. And that is just. That's cool, man. Like you, you've done a lot on this podcast talking about every tournament is different. You know, we try to tie yeah. together all these different threads, but I want to appreciate this Miami team, the regular season champions in the ACC, going to the Final Four for the first time in program history. Like they stand against what I thought was a developing narrative. Because if Texas wins this game, the narrative is, well, look, Texas deep. You know, FAU deep. San Diego State, deeper than Creighton. Like, UConn's not, like, terribly deep, but at least, you know, it's sort of built into this narrative that in a year where nobody was good, like, if you just had enough bodies to be able to sustain injury issues, foul trouble, like, whatever it was, that you were going to be able to advance in the NCAA tournament. But Miami was just better. I mean, it was just, it it was really impressive, and it speaks to uh, the camaraderie of a group that, um, you know, Shout out to Life Wallet and all that. But like, you know, uh, the camaraderie of a group that Jim Laranega has fostered, the way they play for each other, they seem to, based on my view of them on the court throughout this season, and especially in this NCAA tournament, like they seem to have bonded together in a way that overcomes a depth deficiency to some of these other teams that have made deep runs. And on Texas, real quick, this is stinging, obviously. Um you know, had Texas won, I, I thought it had a healthy, healthy chance to give Connecticut a good game and win a national championship under an interim head coach, which would have been, uh, you know, a Steve Fisher situation. And then the ties that bind Steve Fisher built up Brian the San Diego State program. There's all there's a lot of that right now, by the way. I guess we'll say that I'll try and say that more for the end when we just do a quick 
preview of the, of the Final Four, but in case I forget it, I'll mention it here. Like FAU didn't even have a program until 88, didn't go D1 until 30 years ago. SDSU is up there. Like Baylor's probably the greatest reconstruction, but SDSU was a nothing program until Fisher got there and Dutcher, you know, took over. Miami didn't have basketball for like 14, 15 years and finally got it back. And well, UConn is UConn. So uh, very fascinating overall. As for Texas though and Rodney Terry, um, I do think he's going to get the job. Uh, it hasn't been offered yet. This is just in talking to a few sources and, and the signals coming around there. So Crystal Conte, the AD, did go on record. I think he told Wolfson and she gave an update in game today. And then he also told he told Dennis Dodd, he told the Doddfather this as well. So he, I think he told a few people on the record. But he was never going to go forward with that process formally until Texas's season was done. Now, it would have been kind of awkward if Texas made the Final Four and that was still the case because he would have been asked about it. And then maybe, maybe the hand would have been forced. I don't know. Um, I do know that the staff hasn't been given like a direct signal that this is for sure coming, but there's a lot of hope and optimism that it is. I, I'll admit there's, I guess there's still the potential that there's a dark horse candidate out there, but my expectation is that Rodney Terry will get the job. I think he's earned it. It doesn't mean that it won't ultimately prove to be the wrong decision. We could look up in three years and Texas has fallen to, you know, seventh or eighth in the overall hierarchy hierarchy and it's new digs in the sec. That might be the case or Maybe Rodney Terry gets Texas to the tournament yearly and he's, you know, two of the three next two of the next three seasons, like they make second weekend runs. Like that would be more than satisfactory, obviously. Um, and you don't have to give him a huge uh contract and you know, you don't have to offer him seven years at four point five million. And they won't, by the way. But um absent of having an absolute home run waiting in the wings, I I, I don't think that's uh, necessarily the wrong move. So I'm anticipating that being the way that goes. And uh I know Texas fans and plenty of them are all in on it. Some are probably feeling a little ambivalent in the moment. If you're a Texas fan watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, you're just like, man, that felt like a Barnesian ending. I don't know about these vibes right no, now. No, 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 no. All right. So look, so here's my take on this. So we were on the verge of the first Texas Final Four since 2003. I'm with and you. And we I'm were on the, we were already at the first Elite Eight since 2008. Shout out to DJ Augustine. But mm-hmm. like we, Charlotte Bobcats legend, obviously. Um, mm, yes, we are not dealing with a program or the standard, like where the, like what has been like proven is that high, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just think that because Texas basketball is considered a top 10 job, that is because of the athletic department, the finances, the revenue, and like all the things around what comes with being a part of the Texas athletic department. But in terms of like what your expectations are for success, especially in the postseason and the NCAA tournament, Rodney Terry can do, Rodney Terry can do more elite eight runs. Rodney Terry is more than capable of getting Texas to the tournament, getting Texas to the second weekend based on the way that ooh, sources coming in for Matt, uh, based on the way is. Keep going. it actually is keep going um, based on the way that, Texas has performed historically in the modern era in the NCAA tournament. Rodney Terry can do that. Like that's that to me seems like a no brainer. I need you to keep going longer than that. Okay. Um, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> we'll, see if, we'll see if they text back, but yes. Uh, Rodney Terry, Kevin Durant. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I hear you on that. Uh, absolutely. Um, well, that's uh, that's Miami, Texas. Uh, we got a good one. Uh, you know, I always love and give us a nice final regional final on Sunday night, and uh, Miami, Texas delivered. I was just waiting on that one other 
counterpunch from Texas that did, just it did not land. But credit to Jim Laranega, 73 years old and going back to the final four. Canes, man. The Hurricanes are going to the final four. All right. That's that one. We got to talk about San Diego State Creighton, of course, and uh, and what went down there. And we will. But first, nada, do your thing. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sorry, still texting. Uh, so let's talk. Let's talk San Diego State, creating the other regional final from earlier on Sunday. Uh, felt like a toss-up going in. It certainly played that way. We can get to the game stuff, but let's just get to. I guess. I guess we need to get to the call. I'm not that compelled to talk about it, but here we go. Yes or no? Foul on Ryan Nemhart against Darion Trammell. Chip, what say you? Foul. Oh. Yeah, he had his left hand on his hip, and that's a foul. If you are, if, and I love the way it was described, where if the offensive player beats you, and that is exactly what happened on the very beginning of this one-on-one play, was that Tramel beat Nemhard, had an advantage, and then the left hand delivers a push, that's a foul. It's a good call. Like I, it, yeah. I, I am. <laughs> oh man. Um, so I, I was in Stanford for the first weekend and yeah, like were. got to experience, you know, you were just on with like Hakeem. You've just, you were just in Stanford, but Hakeem and Joe Musso were debating the, uh, the LeBron James block on Andre Iguodala from the 2016 finals, right? You know, was mm-hmm. it a goaltend? Because LeBron James's finger swipes the net. So it's like, is that a goaltend or is that an iconic block? This, that, or the other. And what I came back to was the swallow the whistle principle. And I am in the NBA, a swallow the whistle principle guy because it's a seven game series because there are other opportunities for you to be able to prove that you are the best team. But in a single game, like a single elimination tournament, like the NCAA tournament, if it's a foul at the four-minute mark, then it has to be a foul at the end of the game. And we saw Nempard get beat, and we saw Nempard put his left hand on the hip and push him just a little bit. It's a foul. And so credit, Tramel. For knocking down the second yeesh, of two free throws to be able to uh, to seal the win, 
the like Baylor Shireman might have put his foot on the line also on like the inbounds pass that then we also, you know, reviewed a thousand times, which built mm-hmm. into this exhausting ending. But <laughs> it did. I know that was a bummer. It, I mean, it was, it was a bummer ending, but um, it I, was. I, I think that's the issue people had with it. It was like, give us a buzzer beater or give us OT. Don't give us that. But it was a foul. It's a foul. Yeah, it was. It's it was a foul. That's so. Oh. Anyway, so sorry to be so long with it, but you know, got to do my iron college basketball duty and you know be a little long with winded. Yeah, and, that's, uh, that's what we tend to do here. That's what no, you I, do. I, I um, um, but but yeah, Aztecs, foul. Aztecs played it the way they wanted to play it. Now Creighton's capable and very nearly did win. I mean Creighton can beat you in the 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s. It's it's built for that. Not deep, but still built for it. Nemhart started hot, then faded late. Kalkbrenner was mostly good, although there were a few opportunities late that uh, that he let slip Dude, he away. missed some bunnies. It was so I Sometimes I tend to get diplomatic on this, but let's be real here. Creighton was like, what, 7 of 16 on layups and dunks? And San Diego State was not much better. There were, I mean, it was a 57-56 final that should have been, you know, even like 66, 65, something like that. A little more. There was a lot that that was that was given away there. But um, Lamont Butler just coming up big. I wouldn't have believed that that San Diego State could have gotten to the final four, beating Alabama and beating Creighton and having Matt Bradley, the team's only I'm almost positive this is. I was looking at this going into the the regional semis. I think Matt Bradley was the only player for San Diego State that was averaging double figure scoring on the team, like for the for the season. He had two points against Creighton. He had two. And against Alabama, he had six. You tell me he scores eight total points. I'm telling you, SDSU has no shot. No, I that's push back because uh, that's not how SDSU is like ultimately built. Like it it is not the double digit points, it's the double digit minutes. Because mm-hmm. for Creighton, outside of, here, here's the uh, the minutes for their starting five: 35, 37, 37, 37, 38. No bench. They were running out of gas. They had no legs. No legs on the jump shots. No legs on the three pointers. Um, on defense, they were giving up offensive rebounds. And like officially, the offensive rebounds, like San Diego State got uh, 13 of them. But it, it just felt like all 13 of those were the most significant offensive rebounds that you could possibly have. And sometimes they led to three pointers. And it just, it was, again, you know, to reference back to my argument from earlier, if Texas had won, my big theme for today was going to be about in this um, tournament of chaos and everything falling apart, it was the teams that had enough bodies that were able to get it done. Miami clearly ducked that narrative, but that narrative was initially built here in this game where I just felt like from the offensive and defensive standpoint, a Creighton team that I had been like way too high on. Like they, I, I wrote the re-ranking the t- Sweet 16 uh, yep. post for ESports.com. And I was way too high on Creighton. I don't. And, ha- I do not have a chip. I was wrong button. I am. I am with that. So hold on. In honor of that, though, you are going to get it. This is. Uh, this is. This must be done here. Where is it? Uh, here we go. This is. This is chip, but it's cheapy. They're not good. No wait. That was wrong. Sorry. Well, that. But also, <laughs> I was wrong. There we go. Okay. Here we go. But I. 
I, you know, Xavier fans were in my mentions because of course Xavier blasted, you know, Creighton and they were like, what are you doing? You know, moving Creighton up. And I was like, well, they got this versatility scoring, you know, like they can get it from Carpenter. They can get it from Alexander. They can get it from Shireman. Nembar just went off in this tournament. You know, blah, 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 blah. They got so many different ways to beat you, but like, I don't have a sixth option with this Creighton team right now. And I just think San Diego state's a better like capital T team. And that's what we saw in this game is that they were able to be a little bit fresher, get a few more offensive rebounds, a little bit more effort, a little bit more energy. And like that ultimately ended up tipping this thing. It's a one point game that was decided on a free throw. So like, yes, there are alternate universes. I know that you're a big multiverse guy, but like there are alternate universes that Creighton is in the final four you know, and this is a huge moment for Greg McDermott and a Jays program that has had a ton of great coaches in its history and a lot of like great pride and good fan support. But ultimately, man, it, it just kind of felt like they just didn't have it, man. They didn't have enough juice, didn't have enough gas. And and that's where Brian Dutcher and San Diego State and the way that that team is built, the way that they play uh, a little bit more well-balanced. Nobody, no one on San Diego State's roster played more than 30 minutes in this. Oh, uh, one hmm. Tramel played 31. They, they needed him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but everybody else, double digit minutes. And again, all the starting five, 35 or more, uh, nobody on the bench, double digit minutes, just different. Look man. at this, a graphic on the screen. Look at this. Look what, well, look what the Aztecs are doing to just kill the souls of, of their opponents. The averages, I'm going to say it out loud for everyone listening on the phone. Mountain West title game. Utah State was averaging 78, held to 57. Charleston averaging 80, held to 57. Furman averaging 81, held to 52. Bama averaging 82, held to 64. Creighton averaging 74 and a half, held to 56 points. They dictate the terms under which the game will be played. That doesn't change under Dutcher. By the way, San Diego State is 9-1. and one. In games decided by five points or or fewer, they they are just comfortable in this man. They they are beyond comfortable. And to extend that, Alabama and Creighton, two teams that are good at, at that, not high level shooting the three, but certainly willing and wanting to shoot the three, and certainly can get hot. They went five of forty four from three point range. Did Bama and Creighton? Goodness, man. San Diego Incredible. State is the example of um. I I kind of think three point defense is BS. Like it's not BS. It's, but it's, but uh, it's San Diego State makes me think and it's a little column B. It's a little yeah. column A and a little column B because, and this is after talking to coaches on this stuff. Because you chase them off the, the way line. That a team will scheme you uh, on that end of the floor. It can have cumulative effects on how you actually get your shots off and where you get your shots off. I understand the theory that that uh, that three point defense can sometimes be a factor of luck. I just don't buy into it because what's necessarily the difference from taking a shot from twenty three feet versus a half foot foot inside the two point the three point line? Really, like so, I don't. I think there can be some luck, but I actually think that teams that are doing it and have proven it, um, they have an influence over that. That's my take on that. But two for seventeen from three for Creighton. Uh, two for seventeen from three. Creighton was. 9 for 24 against Princeton, 11 for 24 against Baylor, uh, only 3 for 20 against NC State. Uh, but, I mean, even the attempts. I mean, we're talking 
This is a team that shot 26, 34, 21, 25, 23, 20, 24, 24, less than 20 attempts, 17 attempts against San Diego State. That's where, because cause what I've heard, like my when I push, my pushback is the chase them off the line mentality. It's like, based on the way that we scheme our defense, like we want to not just contest, but we want to even make it so that you don't want to take that three. And San Diego State, with one of the best three-point defenses in the entire nation, seemed to prove that here against a team that can be very, very dangerous from three. How about this for San Diego State? The second team ever to hold all four opponents en route to a Final Four below 25% three-point shooting to the Final Four. Trivia time! Who's the other team? It's happened within the past... I'll give you a window. Let's say it's happened within the past four to 14 seasons. In the last four to 14 seasons, there's been a team. Oh, and what was the, the only team the, ever, but the, the answer falls in that range. Yes. What, what, what was the statistic for three point defense? Hold all four opponents under 25% three point shooting in, in every game going to the final four. UConn 2014. Syracuse 2013. Did it Syracuse held opponents collectively to 15% from three point range. San Diego state. 17%. By the way, Darian Trammell, fourth player ever to go to hit a game-winning foul shot with 2.0 seconds or under remaining this deep into the tournament. So Elite Eight, Final Four, National Championship. The others to do it. And yeah, it's a little bit of a bump, bump, boom for Creighton, obviously. But you got it. That was the bucket that sealed it. Hal Lear shouts to 1956 Temple against Cincinnati. Raymar Morgan versus Tennessee for Michigan State in 2010. An unforgettable foul shot. The third, there are four instances. Lear, Morgan, Trammell, and then 2019, Kyle Guy. Mm. In the final four, controversial call. I actually thought it was a good call against Auburn. So, Do we talk there. enough about how that was a soft final four? What do you mean? So... Duke and North Carolina were the best teams in the country that season. Reminder, everyone listening, this is Cover 3 Podcast, Chip Patterson, <laughs> our podcast. Uh, the, he is based, the, he is based in the Triangle area and is a lifelong State. resident of the state of North Carolina. I am now outflanked on this podcast by two NC residents. That's right. Listen, that ACC tournament semifinal between Duke and North Carolina was phenomenal. Like, that was, because Zion was healthy, and that was not the case. Obviously, he leaves the first game. Uh, second game, I think he sits out too, the one in Chapel Hill. Um, and then when they play in the tournament, it's full rosters, both teams, like Kobe White's vibing, like everything is moving. That game was incredible. And I walked out of that game thinking like, well, those are two of the best teams in the country. Then Duke gets beat by Michigan State in the Elite Eight. North Carolina gets beat by Auburn in the Sweet 16. But then you take a look back and you're like, all right, so Virginia had who in the who 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 did Virginia beat in the final four? Oh, it was just oh, they didn't even have to play Tom Izzo. Oh, okay. All right. They just had to play Texas Tech. Okay. So they just had to play Auburn in its oh, first man. ever final four. And then Texas Tech. Okay, okay, okay. All right, cool. cool. You know, I'm, you I'm just saying that like in 2019, I thought yeah. the two best teams in the country were Duke and North Carolina. So, you know. But that's not Back at you, boomerang trivia time. Okay, so. Okay, I said, let's go. I said Connecticut. 
And we're going to get into like final four look aheads in just a little bit. Can you name the starting five of UConn's 2014 national title team on that first Monday in April? Uh, okay. So you've got Boatwright, you've One. got Shabazz. I was there. Um, I mean, listen, like, like you're, this on, is, this is Shabazz, hold on. give me a second. Give me a second. Um, Boatwright, Shabazz, uh, DeAndre Daniels. Yep. <laughs> oh, um, hold on. The white guy. Niels, Niels Gafai. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Ah, 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 Who is the, uh, the, the, the big man in the middle? The big mm. man. Yep. <laughs> am I on the, I'm on the right track? Give me a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are. You are. Give me a second. Come on. <laughs> Six ten. Hold Let's on. Let's go for <laughs> Because all this UConn stuff had me digging. Me and I was oh. like, <laughs> I looked, I looked at this starting five, and it blew my mind. Because I look at the Kentucky starting five, and it's like Aaron Harrison, Andrew Harrison, James Young, Julius Randle, Takari Jackson, Poitier. It's coming off the bench. Like, of course, I remember all these guys. Tell me I'm right. And and I I re- I, I do not remember a lot of this UConn rotation. Give it to me. That was a celebratory headphone. Wait, did, did you say it? I said I meet a Brahma. Oh, no. That's not it? No. He's... What? No, no, no. Brima came off the bench. Oh, this is an outrage. <laughs> Four out of five is still impressive. Not it? He didn't... Brima didn't start? Nope. Can I get a you fact check? Give it to you? I'm looking at... Hold on. Let me look this up. Yeah, give it to me. Philip Nolan. Nolan started in the title game? Yep. I'm looking it up right now. Played 19 minutes. Brima played 13. This is... <laughs> oh my gosh, that's embarrassing. Can't believe I got it wrong. I was convinced. This is shameful. This is absolutely shameful for me. No, no. You know what? I think I think UConn fans are going Brima too. (laughs) Ridiculous! I can't believe I got it wrong. Philip Nolan. Yeah, Philip Nolan, uh, starting big man. But anyway, like Uh, the looking at that UConn team, I was like. How? How? But the answer to how on this San Diego State note is how? Well, you held Kentucky uh, to fifty-four points. You had you held Florida, the number three team at Ken Palm, to fifty-three. You held Michigan State, the number nine team at Ken Palm, to fifty-four. Like they were locked down, like slow pace, but like locked down defensively and. You know, sometimes like, like that is the Yukon. It's interesting because Yukon's more well-rounded, better offensively, but like the Yukon path to winning a title is actually more like what San Diego state's facing right now. Uh, I'd buy that. I think there's, I think that's fair. I think there's a, uh, I think there's something to that. Let's, let's do a quick GP and I are going to do the full blown, you know, final four look ahead things, you know, storylines and just takeaways and all that, but we'll do, 
We'll do a brief final four look ahead. Not if I, you want another break in here? You got another thing queued up for me? You want a break right now? I don't have this in the Actually, yeah, let's do that right now so that everybody knows. what we're going to do. <laughs> we are going to talk about the final four, and then I'm going to talk about the most surprising final four runs that we've ever seen. But first, not a do your thing. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, there we have it. Okay, so final four look ahead. First of all, can you put this graphic up that our social team put up earlier on Twitter? Look at this thing. I don't think Chip has seen it yet. I sent I sent it to Nada. This thing is an instant classic. <laughs> We're going down to Houston. Look at the choice. Houston, we have liftoff. And inside the space, again, if you're listening, you can't see it. Look for the... Uh, I think this is under CBS Sports and not CBS Sports. Yeah, it's under the CBS Sports main one. In the spacesuits... We got <laughs> Brian Dutcher. Um, Come on, a, man. An owl. No, no John Hill Davis. Come on. They put uh, the owl in the spacesuit, which I actually appreciate. And you don't want to know why I appreciate it? Why? Because owls can fly. Well, yeah, but then the owl got left out of visiting the Empire State Building. So we got we got Brian Dutcher, Nigel Pack, Dan Hurley, and Owly the Owl. That's incredible. Hurley's face is just is just awesome. The owl looks like it might. It, maybe those are its actual eyes. It might be under hallucinogens in that photo. But this is this is your final four. How about this? San Diego State, the only team of these four ranked in the preseason poll. Aztecs were nineteenth. All four teams were ranked in the final poll of this season. Let me bring up this exact one so we have it here. So while. While the actual composite of this year's four national semifinalists is unexpected and among the highest total seeds we have seen, you still have teams that were playing well heading into the tournament. So in the final poll, and remember, there's no AP poll after the tournament. So this is the last one. This will be reflected forever. Uh, UConn was 10th. Miami was 16. San Diego State was 18. And yeah, you bet it. FAU, 25th in the poll. In the final week. So all ranked teams are headed to Houston to play in the national semifinals. San Diego State and FAU have played twice in their history. 2000 and 2002. San Diego State won both of those games. They won them comfortably. No one playing in those is playing in these, obviously. But they won 90 to 57 and 91 to 75. I do have a trivia time for you. And it does not involve Philip Nolan or Amita Brima. You ready? Mm-hmm. This will be just the Yukon and Miami on the other side of it. It's the second time ever there's been a four versus five in a final four matchup. Can you guess the other? And my hint to you, 
I'll give you three guesses. I don't know if you can get this. This is fun. This is a tough one at home. If you know your history, though, it's in the 90s. There was a 4-5 matchup. Who do you think it was? 4-5 in the semis. In the national semis, yep. Um... The five in the and it was like genuinely surprising. I remember when I was younger, this five making it to the final four. If it wasn't the first, it was like the second or third instance where I remember thinking to myself, wow. So it's like sometimes, you know, the, the, the best teams don't actually get to the final four. Hmm. All right. I'm, I'm doing no hands. No, no hands. hands. No hands. No cheating. Um, was one of them the Syracuse 90... Is that a 96 team? Bingo. Oh, nice. All right. Okay. Who's the five? Who's the five? Who's the- I, I, let's see if the chat's helping you out here. Is the chat... No, no, no. The chat has so, it. The chat has it. I don't... Because I, I, Syracuse played Kentucky and lost. Correct. In the, in the championship game. 76-67, if my memory serves correctly. I don't. I don't have the other. I. I don't remember the semifinal opponent. I. I just. I. I remember the Syracuse run, and I remember them. I remember their seed being around there, but I. I don't remember who they beat in the semis. So I'll. I'll take the L. Mississippi State Bulldogs with Dante Jones and Eric Dampier. Ooh. Who was the head coach? Yeah, Richard Williams was the head coach of Mississippi State. Gotcha. Five seed got there, so this will be the first four versus five in a national semi since. It's also um, it's an old school Big East affair. <laughs> These two teams did used to play each other in conference play way back. Hey, kiddos, Miami and UConn used to share a conference. Now they're meeting back around in the national semis. Uh, Jim Laranega is the only one here with Final Four experience. Did it with Mason, and again, did it on the 17 year anniversary of getting there overall. Um. What else? Uh, you've got your South Florida flavors with Miami and FAU. Boca Raton and Coral Gables stand the hell up. There had never been a South Florida team to make the Final Four until this year, and now they have two of them. Uh, you've also got this weird thing where uh, FAU is heading to the American. It's leaving CUSA. And San Diego State, it's not done. It's the worst-kept secret in sports. It's going to go to the Pac-12 at some point. So these conferences, the Mountain West and CUSA, will actually financially benefit in the next three, four, five years because the units will space out and they're making millions upon millions upon millions of dollars for this. So it's a nice parting gift for those leagues. Um, SDSU is just a matter of if, uh, or not a matter of if, but just a, a time of when with all of that. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I texted you on that. That's like the, that's the lamest thing to bring up. I always feel bad, but like just because I'm so embedded in the college football side of this, that mm-hmm. like conference realignment, like that's, the cover three podcast on March 26th. Like, yes, if there is any conference realignment buzz, then it is going to be top of mind. And one of the things that we're actually planning as a show is like, Oh yeah. Don't forget like FAU, which like Tom Herman's going to be the new head coach. Like they, they are going to be in the American, you know, Houston is going to be in the big 12. There's a, there were a lot of second weekend moving pieces, you know, UCLA is going to yeah, be in the big were. 10, yeah. you know, like it was, it, it was an interesting sort of back burner, like ninth most important storyline. But I, I at least was latching onto this thinking for FAU, uh, for Charlotte, 
winning the CBI. Like I, I, you were sitting mm-hmm. here talking about uh, North Texas having success in the NIT and Charlotte having success in the CBI and FAU making it to the Final Four. And you're like, man, how great is this for Conference USA? Like for a minute, like all these teams, all three of them that I just I mentioned know. are going to be in the American Athletic Conference next season. Uh, just, you know, just a little back burner thing to keep in mind as we're thinking about where all these teams stack in their neighborhoods, much less the uh, the national picture. A few more things here. Um, every team that's going to the final four uh, had some, you know, you got to overcome adversity. FAU could have, if they give Memphis the timeout, probably done in the first round. Miami San and Drake. Diego, <laughs> San Diego State was in a tight one against Charleston in the first round. Miami needed was down big and went on a 16 to one run and ran away with it in the first round. And then UConn was, I was in the building for both that and uh UConn Iona. Iona actually led at halftime uh, of that game. So uh, you know, the ways that you get to the final four eventually um, are obviously quite interesting. And uh, man, oh man, it's, it's, it is, it is eclectic. I, I, I am excited to, cover it but i'm also excited for the fan bases and like fau came big to the garden really big to the garden man like the, i was so impressed now k-state still outflanked them but these are you know on the surface and again we'll dive deeper into this with gp on tuesday but you got brian dutcher who wasn't a head coach until he was like 56 57 years old san diego state would have been probably a one and a two at the worst in 2020. Like it was a dominant team. And then what we remember, Kansas was one in Ken Palm. Dayton was having uh, this incredible year, but San Diego state was good enough to win a national title that season too. So it finally gets some redemption in there. That's a really cool story. FAU kind of speaks for itself and I'll give a few quick notes on them before we get out of here. UConn under Hurley. He hadn't won a tournament game with the program till this year. And now he's going to the final four and the Huskies are coming full circle in the context of the season. You know, they looked incredible in November. They win their PK-85 event. Then they've got the lull. Hurley gets COVID. He misses a game. And they drop six of eight. And now here they are. They're just... The 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 vibes I get off of this UConn team that are just like 90s, 2000s, like this roster has a lot of that. And it's really cool to see uh, just because... You know, being or you know, well, let, being let, around let college basketball when that was happening. You know, was, like was you know, Dan, you know this program through and through. But like to me, I think about Adama Sonogo because Adama Sonogo was one of the best freshmen in the country, one of the best freshmen in the Big East when he stepped in, and that was the first year that UConn was in the Big East. Like they had just made their arrival. It was uh, Dan Hurley's third year on the job. And it was the first year that they made the NCAA tournament. And I just sense that there is some ownership, you know, that there is like, and again, I'm, I'm asking you because you were with them in Albany, but like, I just think that there is something about these upperclassmen who build to this point. And it goes back to my Jordan Miller, Miami um, reference, where it's like, when you, when you put in this much and you get so close and then you feel that heartbreak, I mean, there is nothing like I wish I could take every college basketball fan and put them with me in the losing locker room in the NCAA tournament, the smells, the sounds, like everything in there will rock your soul. 
Like for real. I mean, it is incredible the human emotion that is felt and the how raw it is. And I think about Sonogo. As soon as he like got a part of the roster, he was very quickly an important part of UConn basketball. So he has become the face of this resurgence. And it's just like, man, that is the kind of player who, because of his physical talents and also just like how good he is, like we'll be like, I can will this team to a win right now. And it is, it is so impressive to see this UConn group like build to this point back to what GP and you have referenced the like, if you're going to get us, get us now because it's coming like Dan Hurley calling a shot, all that yeah. sweet. But I also want to put the focus on the players who have been there for all of these years of like, like um, with in college football, we say you lose big, you lose small, you win small, you win big. And you have to go through those steps to be able to win big. Feels like UConn's about to win big. And on the Sonogo stuff, um, Hurley referenced this at one of his press conferences, but like, because Klingon has been such a, a boost as a freshman and been better than anyone expected him to be. Like Sonogo was on the receiving end of some just straight up trash from UConn fans. And this isn't the entire fan base. This is probably one or 2% of the fan base, but like just stuff where like the, the official account would tweet or put out something on the gram as the kids say, I promise not to use that phrase again. Uh, not the gram. Oh, in the, the comment section, say. it's toxic. And then it's just like, why is he starting? Bench this guy, play cling in 30 minutes. And like that stuff, you know, they, they tried their best to like shut it out, but it, it, it became a thing. And so to see Sonogo continue to kick ass and be an, be an incredible player and a major force for that team. And Hawkins, like he, he went off and they're just loaded. UConn's absolutely loaded. And, uh, and we'll see how they handle, like they have been a, they were a, a understandably a chic final four pick. And even for some, a national title pick, but now they're going to go into this being the the comfortable favorite to win it all, and we'll see. And 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 on the last with storylines and stuff, and just Larinaga doing this at seventy three with Miami, and and the way that they were able to do it, like they they basically they just played Houston in submission in a way that I didn't think Houston was capable of falling flat. It was weird, but credit to Miami for doing that, and then coming back and winning. The way it did against Texas in a big spot for Miami to get down there. Um, you just you have these fan bases, you know, Miami basketball, San Diego State and their Aztecs, and that's the the show is gonna travel. The show is heading to Houston and it's gonna be there in a big way. And again, FAU. So I'll talk FAU here um real quick. Oh, they've got an First, advantage. And it, they've got a spiritual advantage. FAU does? Yeah, the Aztec people. Did not oh, want I saw mess. this. Yeah, yeah the Aztec did is this not real. Want to mess. Is this someone that is it? This is, what you're about to say. Did you fact check this before we go with this claim? I, I did. I actually read uh, one religious studies thesis on uh, Mesoamerican religious uh, beliefs when it comes to owls, okay. and uh, and and in general, they respected, but did not want any piece of these owls. We have discovered a lot of Aztec whistles you know, that would have been associated with death ceremonies that were carved in the shape of an owl. And they, they, we just, the Aztec people, the, they did. And like, to be fair, I mean, it's kind of like how I feel about raccoons. <laughs> you mess. Well, that's your time. All right. All right, bud. Like you, you stay over there. I don't, I don't want to mess with you. You got all kinds of crazy you're afraid, stuff. You're afraid on. of raccoons. No, but I just, I leave, I respect them and I will like, 
not try to engage in battle with the do okay. you engage in battle with a raccoon? I'm not looking to engage in battle with a raccoon. No, no absolutely not. Like it's no, nah, we got we got too much else on the line. Stakes are too high out here to be engaging in battle with a raccoon and suffer the repercussions. And apparently mm. that's the way the Aztec people felt about these owls, these night hunters, these nocturnal animals that they didn't want to mess with. So I just I think the Aztec people, if they didn't like owls, it might be a advantage for FAU. Okay, <laughs> we'll see about that. Um, Garden was incredible, as it always is. The East region, East regional, I should say. It's the read all the games in the corner of the bracket. That's the region. The regionals are actually the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. So the regional, uh, all three games were tremendous. I, I think I got, I think I was at the best of the four because every single game was competitive and, and decided uh, decided late, and just what a performance to see Marquise Noel do what he did in two games, and for that building to come alive and to see. Carmelo after I was I was stand, I, I wasn't going to bother Carmelo and Mace and Cameron. I was not bothering them. They're standing like right next to me in the back. Um but a part of me was like should I go over and just talk to these guys about Noel? But I actually had to run. I had to get I actually had to go and do like an HQ hit in like less than 90 seconds. So I was like, "Nah, we're good." But it was it was kind of fun to watch uh watch that stuff behind the scenes. And for the FAU fan base, uh, just showing up in huge numbers and that guard that building always all, this tournament always delivers and that building always delivers. And for Dusty May and that team, come on now. They they are for real. By the way, I will have a story that I believe we are going to publish on Monday. Uh, Dusty May shared something with me off the record in January and said that I could use it at a future date when he was, uh, you know, further along in his career. And then I called. And him. now it's further along. And then I called them when I I called them when they made the Sweet Sixteen, and I said, "If you make the Final Four, let me write this." And he said, "If we make the Final Four, you can write it." So I'm not going to spoil it, um, but there is an interesting, there is an interesting origin story to Dusty May being at FAU that has not been reported. So that will be on the site on Monday, I believe. I'm going to finish writing it tonight, and I think we're going to try and pub that tomorrow. Um, from Dusty to do this, and with a again. I understand it's a, it's a collection of players that is mostly anonymous to the country, but they're nine deep. Oh, by the way, they've got Jalen Gaffney who played at UConn now opposite sides of the bracket, but um, Gaffney left UConn now FAU. They're both in the, they're both in the tournament and Janelle Davis of FAU played on Indy, the Indy heat uh, grassroots program. They were teammates. Now they're on opposite sides of the bracket. They're going to the final four as well. Some cool reunion stories there. It would the team doesn't rattle. They're 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 impressive. And as I wrote, I don't write these things for effect. I write them because I I believe now it's going to take a lot. I'm telling you, FAU can win the national championship. It is yeah. it, it has the guys, the coaching, the scheme, the depth, the three point shooting, and the outright resolve. Does not rattle. Okay, against Tennessee didn't matter. FDU was was threatening them. Didn't matter. Memphis got a little tight late. They got a beneficial call their way. Didn't matter. They've they've they can win. I think I mentioned this earlier in the show on Creighton. They can win in the 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s. They can do it. Does not matter. Um, it would be one of the all-time stories in sports if they do it. 
but I don't consider that the story is a Cinderella story. The team is not a Cinderella team. They're 35 and three. They're guaranteed to have more wins this season than any other team in the sport. No one can catch them in the final four or the, uh, the CBI or the NIT or any of it. So they'll, no matter what happens, they're going to finish with more dubs than any other school. And they've been doing this all season long. And it's, uh, it's super duper impressive. And that was an awesome scene to, to cover on Saturday. And it, it does, some of those players, like I, I got them on HQ and there was a look of uh, for a couple of them. I was like, uh, we don't even know how to interpret what's happening right now. And that's the best. That's the best. Well, I, so I, okay. That's why I was going to say, if FAU uh, to, to build on Matt Norlander's Ion college basketball podcast statement and in his column that they can win a national championship. If FAU wins a national championship, it is in my opinion, not arguable that it goes down as one of the Cinderella or at least like miracle tournament runs because since 1979, only six teams have won the national championship with odds of 20 to one or longer on selection Sunday. Those teams are the 2014 UConn team, which we couldn't even come up with the starting five. The 1985 Villanova team that is wildly, widely regarded as like, you know, one of the like great Raleigh Massimino, the, you know, leads that team, their incredible shooting performance, yada, yada, yada. 2011 UConn, we've got Kemba going Super Saiyan. 1983 NC State, was it a pass or a missed shot? Uh, 1988 Kansas, Danny and the Miracles, and 2006 Florida. So since 1979, there have only been six teams. We have won the national championship with pre-tournament betting odds of 20 to 1 or longer. FAU would clearly be a part of this. In fact, the only team remaining who had odds of better than 20 to 1 is UConn. Texas could have been there, but of course they lost. Those other ones would be Houston, Alabama, Kansas, Purdue, UCLA, Arizona, and Gonzaga. So for FAU to win would put them in the same conversation as a 1985 Villanova, a 1983 NC State, 1988 Kansas, the UConn teams of 14 and 11. Like it it would look historically like a Cinderella type run even though if they win the national championship there'd be what a 37 win team, mm-hmm. 36. Which one? I I what? For for FAU? If FAU wins the title. 37. 37. 37. Yeah. That, yeah. Even, even though there would be a 37 win national champion, it would still look based mm-hmm. on the expectations in the betting market and otherwise, you know, closer to a 1985 Villanova, 1983 NC State. Um, final four teams San Diego State won its league, won its conference tournament. FAU won its league, won its conference tournament. Miami won its league, was the one seed, did not win its conference tournament. UConn did not win its league, did not win its conference tournament. UConn has more losses than any team in the Final Four, but it is also rated comfortably as the best in terms of um, projected futures and then predictive metrics in Kempom. Specifically, UConn is 1, San Diego State is 14, FAU is 17, and Miami is 22. Let's wrap it up with this. The most surprising Final Four runs uh, in modern history, since they went to, since they went to seating, dude. What year? What year did they go to seating, Chip? Nineteen seventy nine. That's right. Buddy. 
That's right. Billy Corgan being a jerk doesn't turn you off from smashing pumpkins. I know what he wants. Separates the art from the artist. Okay. Anything, anything before bad, I'll I'll do bad and everything before we're good. Um, here's my order. Top 10, 2007, South Carolina, 2017, South Carolina. I was there. MSG has a seven seed. They beat 10 seed Marquette, two seed Duke, three seed Baylor and four seed Florida. Shouts to Sundarius Thornwell. Shouts to Sundarius Thornwell is also the counter to the idea that Duke in Madison Square Garden was unbeatable. Because That's correct. That is Duke. correct. Yeah. Number nine on this list, I have this year's FAU team from the nine spot. Memphis, 16 seed FDU. This is so the way I, I did this was the team, the road, how strong it was. Like FAU was ranked. Like it's unlikely. Historically, this is unreal, but I think it's the ninth most unlikely Final Four run we've had. All right. They beat Memphis, FDU as a 16, four seed Tennessee, three seed K State. Number eight, the first Butler team. It was a five seed, but it's Butler. All right. And it was the second in this run of mid major slash Cinderella's. Yes, it had a future pro on the team in Gordon Hayward. Yes, it almost beat Duke on the greatest missed shot, arguably in the history of the tournament. Beat 12 seed UTEP, 13 seed Murray State, top seed accused. I'm sorry, K-State. You're going to take a lot of strays here. This the, the K-State is, by the way, lost what is it, eight straight, nine straight Elite Eight games. They've lost so many Elite Eight games in a row. Haven't made the Final Four. We'll cut just short. It's been 60. It'll be 60 years officially next year. Number seven on the list. It's COVID, so I didn't know where to put this, but it's UCLA. Now it's UCLA. It's a big program. UCLA lost four straight games heading into the 21 tournament. Barely got in the field. Won the first four game against 11 seed Michigan State. Then beat BYU the six. Abilene Christian, the four, second seeded Alabama, top seed in Michigan to get there. I put them there. They were the toughest one to sort out, but that's where I land them. Going to go to the original. Wow, we got a 64 team field and we got some wackiness here. LSU, 86, 11 seed. They beat six seed Purdue, three seed Memphis State. They did the toughest road the whole way. Six seed Purdue, three seed Memphis State. It was Memphis State back then. Two seed Georgia Tech, number one, Kentucky to get there. Now we get to the top half. Number five, 2011 Butler. Didn't have Hayward, was an eight seed, almost lost to Old Dominion and Pitt in an incredible first weekend. This team at one point was 14 and nine. All right. It got up to an eight seed, beat Old Dominion Pitt, four seed Wisconsin, two seed Florida to get to the second final four in as many years and really establish and firm up the legend of that is Brad Stevens. Top four. You want to guess? You want to try and guess my order here? For your top four unlikely final four final runs. Four. Yep. Here we go. 2013, Wichita State. That's my number four. They were nine seed. I saw them in person beat Pitt as an eight and number one seed Gonzaga. That was out in Salt Lake City a decade ago. Then they went out to LA. They beat, remember, Sal as a 13 made the sweet 16. That actually happened. And then they beat two-seed Ohio State to get to the Final Four under Greg Marshall. That was the year before they got to the tournament undefeated and ultimately got knocked off in the second round in that Loyola three? Kentucky. Loyola Chicago is the three. 11-seed 2018. 
just a magical run. Uh, beat six seed Miami and three seed Tennessee. Both of those were won in the closing seconds, and then they got by Nevada by just one point with Muss as the coach. That was the uh, the run that got him on the road to Arkansas, and then they knocked and off yes Kansas State. <laughs> State got knocked off in a regional final like yet again. They keep getting in the way of this stuff. Uh, the I thing that's amazing. Like, about- can I sit on that one real quick? Yeah. I showed up to Atlanta. Virginia had been bounced because they were the one in the South. Kentucky was there. And we were like, this is it. This is Kentucky. Just like easy slip and slide. Like it's Loyola. It's, uh, you know, Kentucky had to play Kansas state. It was going to be Loyola and Nevada. Like, just think about that from a Kentucky fan base standpoint. All you got to do is beat Kansas state. And then the Loyola Nevada winner. And you're in Mm -hmm. the final four. That building on Friday, because it was a Friday Sunday, if I remember correctly, but like they BBN was filling that place. Shout out to Bruce Weber, Cartier Jara, like just a, we go. a, a hard scrabble K State yeah. squad uh, in that in that year in 2018 that, that was able to to knock them off. But yeah, they didn't end up falling short to. Uh, to Loyola and Sister Jean in that magical run. And the Sister Jean effect, Loyola Chicago hadn't been to the tournament in three decades. There was a lot going into that, and that's the, that had to be three. Number two? Which one is it? What do you think? Kansas? 88? Not on the list, man. No, no shot. Oh, yeah, because it's... Uh, have you already mentioned VCU 11? I have not. That is number two. 2011, VCU, the first team to go from first four to final four. Uh, speculation whether it even should be in the tournament. I, th- I believe it was Billis that famously said VCU should not be in the field. It beat USC in the first four, then knocked off Georgetown, Purdue. Purdue was a three. Florida State is a 10, and then went just ballistic from three-point range and, and beat that's uh, top-seeded Kansas, uh, number one that year. Um, I think Kansas... I'm not going to speak for Kansas fans, but over the years, it feels like of all the... T- like That is in the top three of like... That team didn't make a final four. Are you kidding me? VCU did it. And that means number one is, of course, 2006 George Mason, which is the first, like, it's the first Cinderella team to do it. And they got in over Hofstra. And there was a lot of lamenting. I think, I think Vital was saying, why isn't Hofstra in the field? And because Hofstra, like, I think Hofstra swept Mason, like, went 3 and 0 against him. But Mason got in. I think it was the last team into the field. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was a 65 team field. There wasn't 68 teams in there. It was 65. There was only one playing game. They beat six seed Michigan State, three seed North Carolina, seven seed Wichita State, and then the epic OT 86 84 win over a stacked UConn team. Uh, Denim Brown shot went long. That's my top 10. Uh, you had the likes of Wisconsin in 2000. Someone in the chat mentioned them. They were certainly under consideration. Uh, Penn was a nine. What year did they do that, Chip? Actually, nine I do know that because FAU is the third nine. I've been writing right. a, a like in 10 out of the last 13 days, I've written a story for CBSSports.com that is the storylines for the uh, day ahead. And it, it is not anywhere close to what Gary Parish has to do for like what 200 days out of a year of just mm-hmm. like writing a new story every single day that is the same day. But when you're squeezing the last bit of juice out of that lemon, like, I don't know, man. I've been talking about FAU a lot. 
Okay, they're really deep in this tournament. Let's what's the storyline? How many nines have there been? And sure enough, elevens have gotten to the final four more often than a nine. That's right. Eights That's right. have gotten to the final four three times more often than a nine. The a nine, nine. The, the nine, did I catch a niner? Um, nine is actually one of the least likely seed lines in the like outside of you know deep, deep, deep in the bracket that you're going to have. So yeah, FAU. I did know that it's Penn and it's Wichita State, and now it's FAU. The only three nines to make it to the final four. And the only other team that was nine or worse I didn't have on my list, I think here was 2016 Syracuse was a 10. I think that's the only one I didn't include in there along with, uh, with Penn. Like that's my list. That team. Say it again? Like the Syracuse run, the late era, especially now that Bayheim's retired, we can like start to talk about like late era Bayheim. The late era Bayheim run did mm-hmm. require one NBA talent. Yes. Like, you had I, was there. I was there when they did it. I was, I was, but it's like, was oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, this is a this is a huge game. You're playing zone defense, it's one possession. Oh, you've got one player who is an NBA talent who can just put the ball in his hands and make it happen. I feel like Malachi Richardson was that player on that team. They got it done. They beat Gonzaga and Virginia in Chicago. I do remember that well. Man, oh man, what uh, that was the final, final four of Jim Beheim's career. I think that's about. Uh, I think that's about going to do it here. We've gone. Man, we really did go long. Now it's like, what are you guys doing? Seventy plus minutes. The final four is set. We will preview the games. GP and I will be back for a Tuesday episode, so you can uh, you can be on the lookout for that. Hey um, GP. Mm. Hey GP. I know you're watching on the onboard in-flight Wi-Fi. Wow. You got that Delta Gold Club. That's Chip Patterson from the Cover yeah. 3 podcast, our college football counterpart. Do be sure to subscribe to that YouTube channel. What do you what do you do to the like button over there? You're not smashing it like Brandon Davies. What are you doing? No, I think I think we do smash. I mean, yeah. smash okay. that subscribe, smash that like, come in, join us in the chat because like, I mean, listen, we're here at like 75 minutes, but like our our chat is subscriber only mode. So you do have to be I, Ours is as well, right, Nada? Yeah. It's a subscriber only mode. Yeah. Of so course. you think I'm turning down free subscribers? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So so that's I, I very quickly blow through that to get to the communal aspect. Like smash that subscribe, smash that like come and join us in the chat. We will be taking live questions every single Thursday, as we always do. In addition to the big old bag of mail, leave us a five-star review, put that question in the you know, yada yada yada. You do you do very frequent mailbag episodes. We do not. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it's the thing that I have learned is that our like college football, you talk. 12 months a year about a season that only has 12 games a year. Like it inherently requires, like it is a talking sport. It is a sport that is built less on results and more on talking talking. about what's going on. And so I have found that like, yes, it helps, but it also like the, the people that care as much as we care have really like fun ideas and like, Oh, okay. Like I get excited and enthused sometimes by hearing what our listeners have to say more so than I would just trying to scan the headlines and come up with the podcast. So, uh, that's probably one no, reason I, why I hear you. I think that's, uh, I think that's a 
a viable option every now and then. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday. Thank you, everyone, again. If you've gotten to the end of this, hit the like button. Continue to subscribe. Spread the word. You've made this the most successful month in the history of this podcast. We appreciate yeah. you so very, very much. We will be back. We are scheduled to be back at the latest on Tuesday morning. I am Matt Norlander. This is Chip Patterson. I'm going to hit one more random one on the button. Which one are we going to go with here? Let's uh, let's go with uh, a little more Tobias. There are dozens of us. Dozens. We will see you on Tuesday. Take care.